The Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Thank you for listening to Exploring the Word. Bert Harper, Alex McFarlane with you, and we're in the book of Acts, chapter 6. Matter of fact, we'll finish this up with a man called Stephen, a deacon, as I think uh, you would call him, and then he became a great preacher, and he would preach one of the greatest sermons ever. Matter of fact, we're going to hear that today, or at least read about that today. Again, thank you for listening. Alex, Stephen and Philip, two of those men that they selected to take care of the business of the problem with the church divided, uh, they must have done a great job because the church continued to grow. But then those two guys, they got out on the road and became great preachers and evangelists, didn't they? They really did. And, you know, I love verse 5 of Acts 6, and it's talking about the ministry and uh, who's doing the ministry and what they're doing. It says, the saying pleased the whole multitude. And isn't it good when a church is in unity? And uh, the whole multitude pleased. But Stephen and Philip, full of the Holy Ghost, men of faith and men of the Spirit, that's the kind of person God can use, isn't it? It is. And matter of fact, when you come to verse 6, those are the words that are used again for Stephen. Full of faith and power, he did great wonders and signs among the people, and there arose some dissension. Can you believe it? Doing great signs and wonders, helping people, uh, you know, just doing great things. But there's that group that looked at it and said, oh, me, we got to do, we got to put an end to this, Alex. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Stephen would have been a a Greek-speaking Jew, and it says in verse 9, there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. Now, for one thing, there's education that oftentimes makes people arrogant and prideful, um, disputing. And it says um, certain of the synagogue, two things that will make people a little bit arrogant, Bert. One is religion, and the other is education. What if, now, you, com- what if you combine those two? Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> it, it, can, it can be very contentious, for sure. Yeah. But... I love verse 10, they were not able to resist the wisdom of the spirit by which Stephen spoke. Amen. You know what? Hey, I believe in academics and I believe in good content, but there is something about the truth of the gospel. And when I, when I think about Acts six ten, I think about Billy Graham, that he said this, that when you preach the gospel, the death, burial, the resurrection of Jesus and simple faith in Jesus Christ and the Word of God, the Scriptures. Remember Billy Graham famously, he would always say, the Bible says, yeah. the Bible says, there is something self-authenticating about the truth of God and the truth of God's Word. And uh, Stephen had that. Billy Graham had it. We can have it today because we live in a time of, of disputing and dissension when it comes down to truth, doesn't it, Bert? It does, and it, it is becoming more and more in our country. It's always been in our country to an extent, 
but it's getting more and more prolific with so many issues coming up of distorting truth, and that's what they do. And notice what they did to combat. They could not use truth to combat. So what did they do? Verse 11, they secretly induced men to say, Okay, we we got to get these men to say, let me put it another way, to lie. You know, uh, what is Satan? He's the prince and the father of lies. Alex, he mm-hmm. is the supreme liar. His whole, quote, kingdom, little K, is built on lies. And what he offers and what he delivers are completely opposed to one another. He He promises and promotes freedom, but it's really bondage. He promotes and wants to say that you can have power, but in honesty, it is death. And so they Hmm. secretly induce men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And you'll go on. There's four things that they say, and they brought to the the council that Stephen did. He blasphemed God, he blasphemed Moses, and later on, the law and the temple. when you hear this, can you not think, I mean, the whole story of Stephen reminds us of Jesus when he, uh, yes. at the end, he said, Father, forgive them. But here they had to bring lying people to him to bring the charges that they did. Truth would not stand, so they had to lie. Yeah, uh, well, do you remember how Jesus, you know, speaking of his unresurrection, he said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up again. And do you know what? In a way, this lingering charge, this accusation of really sedition uh, is is found in Acts 6.14. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place, meaning the temple. So, by the way, this has to be pre-A.D. 70, because this is a little bit of a um, charge against Jesus that we first read way back in John chapter 2. But um, the customs that Moses delivered us, notice the, the, religious, uh, the religious dissenters of verse 9, they're, they're accusing the gospel of being against the truth of Moses. Uh, it's going to destroy their existing religious machinery. But, hey, you remember how... Uh, the Bible says you can't put uh, new wine in old wineskins. Right. E- even though this gospel, this the new covenant, how the Messiah would shed his blood to wash sin away, and salvation is through faith, not works, this is what the gospel has always been, this promised message of salvation. But to those that really they didn't know the Messiah, it sounded like, a subversive message, didn't it? It did. And, and it really, that's, that's the whole thing. And remember, the bottom line was power. I mean, mm-hmm. they did not want to lose their power because they talked about Jesus, how many people were following him. Here's Stephen, full of faith, power, doing great wonders and signs, and the church is growing. Uh, they got to try to put a stop to it. They tried to put a stop to Peter and John by beating them. It would not stop. And now they're going after Stephen. They're trying to stop this movement. You remember what Gamaliel said? says, if it is of man, it will stall out. If it's of God, we, we can't stand against it. And they're going to find out they could not stand against it, no matter their tactics. Now, verse 15, I, I just love this verse. There, There's just so many things right in here that you just, 
the only word that I can say, you just admire how Luke could write these. And here he says, and all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, that Stephen, saw his face as the face of an angel. Now, yeah. now what was he going back to verse eight? He was full of faith and power. Alex, uh, again, I, I, you, I love to do this. Do you remember when Moses came down uh, after being with God? They uh, couldn't even look on they him. They could not they? look on There's a countenance that, uh, again, it is a little bit supernatural. Now, I'm not going to say uh, I've seen people glow or anything, but I have observed people full of the Spirit sharing the Word of God and the truth of God's Word and there's a countenance about them of assurance and everything. Now, whether it's mm-hmm. that picture of an angel, I, I'm not going to go that far. But God makes a difference in and through people, doesn't he? Well, yeah. And, you know, there are a number of times in the Bible that we read about uh, somebody having this countenance. You know, you mentioned Exodus 34 when Moses came down from the mountain and he just had such a glow that people were afraid to come near him. Uh, Samson's mother, uh, one time when the angel of the Lord appeared to Samson's mother, this is in Judges 13, uh, that she said the angel of the Lord uh, had the appearance of the angel of God. And, well, you know, I think about on the Mount of Transfiguration, you know, in Luke chapter 9, when Peter, James, and John went up on, um, uh, would that have been Mount Hermon? The Mount of Transfiguration. That's what a lot of folks think. There's some yes. a little bit of a different opinion on that. And it says that he was transformed and he, his clothes became dazzling white. Now, Bert, when I've read Acts 6.15 and it says that Stephen's face was like the face of an angel. Um, all right. There's a couple of things here. The, the wisdom by the spirit w- by which he spoke. See, his words his countenance, his very appearance. And I've often thought about there at the end, sadly, in uh, Acts chapter 7, when they stoned Stephen, and it said, said that, you know, he was looking up to heaven, and he, he seemed to see heaven opened in verse 55 of Acts chapter 7, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God uh, as he was getting stoned, and he was going to be, you know, transitioning from this physical life to eternal life in heaven. There's something about the people that are very, very godly that um, they're still in this world, but it's like a little smidgen of heaven is already upon them, isn't it? You know what I mean? That is awesome. Yes, that is true. And, uh, you know, as you know, part of the model prayer about on earth as it is in heaven now, again, you're never going to get all the things going on, but you can have this peace that passes understanding. You can have the presence of God in your life so much and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, the Word of God saturating your life, that there it does make a little bit of heaven here upon earth. Now, Alex, after he does this, this is introducing to chapter 7, and we're going to get into it real quickly before we go to break. Then the high priest said, are these things so? Now, I want to tell you, in place of, of Stephen saying yes or no, or let me think about it, he starts delivering a sermon, and it starts in chapter 2. Good sermon. It is a good sermon. 
And it brings us all the way over to verse 51 and 52. And I'm telling you what, he brings it to a climax. Now, I'm going to turn it to the climax, and then we just highlight. I think we do better at that, highlight his message. But notice what it says. He says in ended, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they kill those who, who uh, foretold the coming of the just one of whom mm. you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. Now, what he does, he delivers all the way how they got the law, how the prophets came. And what notice what he does. He doesn't align these religious men up with the prophets. He lines them up with the ones that were prosecuting and persecuting the prophets he makes mm. his case well doesn't he he really does he really does and by the way a good trivia question would be there in Acts 752 one of the titles the new testament gives jesus is the just one yeah meaning the righteous one now we've got messiah christ lord god son of god son of man messiah those are titles but here in Acts 752 the just one that's one of the New Testament titles for the Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I got to tell you, in verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Just like he had heaven, even though he was still in this world, these gnashing teeth, that's like the, the occupants of hell, even though they're not quite there yet. That's right. But he says he is still full of the Holy Spirit. He started full of the Spirit. He ends being filled with the Spirit. Hey, we're going to be back, and we're going to look at more of the message just a little and see what happens. This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Allison Barkoff, Acting Administrator and Assistant Secretary for Aging at the Department of Health and Human Services. She provides advice on issues affecting people with disabilities and older adults. 1 Timothy 5 verses 1 and 2 reminds us of the importance of honoring our elders. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide Allison Barkoff in her work at HHS. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Imagine having a secret identity so secret that you don't even know it. Dr. Tony Evans says that's true of all of us who don't understand Ephesians 2.10. You may just meet yourself for the first time today as we spend two minutes with Tony. God, first of all, wants you to know you are his workmanship. And the Greek word workmanship means masterpiece or work of art. Now that you are saved, he considers you a masterpiece. I don't care what your mama said about you. I don't care what your daddy said about you. Only what God says about you matters. 
God says he is crafting you into something that will blow your mind and everybody's mind who sees you when this work of art has been completed. You were told you were ignorant. You were told that you were never going to make anything of yourself. God says you are a masterpiece in the making. The Greek word workmanship also means poem. God looks at you so staggeringly great that he's sitting up writing poems about you because he's so excited about what you are designed to become. I didn't ask you how you feel. I didn't ask you what other people think. I don't even care what you think. God says you are a masterpiece. And until you start saying about you what God says about you, you'll be believing a lie and living a lie and not looking like the masterpiece you were created to be. Learn more about who you were created to be and how to live out your purpose successfully. Check out Tony's CD series, The Spiritual Toolkit, when you visit TonyEvans.org. Then be sure to join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Thanks for listening to American Family Radio. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 11, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. back in Matthew 12 30 when Jesus said he who is not with me is against me uh, welcome back to exploring the word Alex and Bert here we're in Acts chapter 7 Bert before we uh, wrap up Acts chapter 7 Stephen preaches a sermon a great sermon and yes. get, gets himself stoned but listen to this um, he in addition to preaching Jesus the promised Messiah he delineates some of the sins of the uh, religiosity of of Israel. He talks about the golden calf and sacrifice to an idol, uh, and God gave them up to worship the host of heaven. Now, the ancient Jews prided themselves on their monotheism, Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And that's true. There is one God. But look at verse uh, 42 and 43 of Acts chapter 7. Okay, they were in the wilderness, the idolatry, the golden calf. They wandered 40 years. And Stephen levels this indictment. Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god, Remphan, figures which you made to worship them, and I will carry you away to Babylon. Uh, this is part of God's condemnation of, of ancient Israel. Moloch was a false god, and among the, uh, the, the work of Moloch was child sacrifice. But Remphan, scholars think that was worship of, of Saturn, some type of astrology. Uh, but let me just say this. If you're not following the Savior Jesus, by definition, you are in some form of idolatry. Yeah. You know, and it could be religion or pride or your your belief in your own morality, or it could be something overtly occultic like this, Molochism or worshiping Remphan. But if you don't know the true God, 
by definition, you'll be following some sort of false god. That's exactly right. And they were. They were. One more thing I want to do about his sermon, and uh, well, two things. One, notice the years that he talks about in verse 23. He delineates this, and there's 40 years that he spent in the Egyptian court, 40 Mm -hmm. years that he passed, you know, in in the wilderness, uh, you know, on his own, keeping watch over the flock, and then the 40 years later. So all of it was 40 years and 120 years. He does that, and again, chronologically. But the other thing, notice that the roll call. Just let me go through this. He mentions Abraham at the beginning, verse 2. He goes through that. He talks about Jacob he, and, and uh, Isaac and Jacob. And then he goes to Joseph and and talks about him in verse 9, and he talks about the 75, 70 to 75 that came down with Joseph into Egypt. And it said he talks about Egypt until another king arose that did not know Joseph and know his people. Then he brings up Moses in verse 30 or verse 20. And again, he goes through the history of these people and talks about in verse 38 the angel, which we believe may be of the Lord, Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai, and he brings it all the way up to Joshua, and he talks about uh, how God was to be worshipped and brought out. Even verse 47, he builds up to Solomon. Now, what he's doing here, remember the charges that are against him? They're saying, you have broken the law, you've talked about the law, you've talked about the temple, uh, you talked about Moses. And here in each one of these cases, he mentions Solomon, who built the temple. He talks about Moses, the lawgiver, and knowing of God. So Alex, he is defending himself, and in his defense, what he does, he brings it and brings the charges against them. You and I have talked about how smart Paul was and Mm -hmm. how Paul would weave his sermons and bring it about and weave them together. I want to tell you, we know that the apostle Paul, known as Saul at that time, was there hearing this because they're going to lay the the charges against him. And he was able to hear Stephen bring all of these and weave the story all through the Old Testament and bringing it to Jesus and laying the charges at these people's feet. Uh, I would say Paul had a good teacher in Stephen in how to tell the story. Well, yeah, exactly. And you know what? You look at this in verse 57. They cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears. Okay. Have you ever seen anybody like um, maybe they'll plug their ears up with their fingers and they'll say, no, 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 no. You know, I don't want to hear this. Um, That's the impression you get. But here's the thing. Not only are they personally refusing to hear truth, it becomes... Uh, tumultuous. Verse 57 says, they ran upon him with one accord, cast him out of the city. So imagine, uh, I, I picture they're grabbing him by the arms and legs, they're hauling him to the edge of town, but it's not just they're throwing him out of town, they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Uh, in other words, they're, uh, they're showing the boss that th- this job is done, yeah. you know? They stoned Stephen, calling upon God, and 
Stephen is the one calling upon God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Now, it's interesting, um, their rejection of Jesus and really their rejection of God, he preached hard to them, but their the final sin that he would see them do was the sin of murdering the preacher, and yet, even in his death, it says he, f- he fell asleep, meaning he died, but he is interceding. Do you know, I think about Spurgeon, who uh, somebody once told Spurgeon, they said, you know, you've preached and preached, and half of London is, is still going to hell. And Spurgeon said, well, that may be, but they'll have to step over my dead body because till my dying day, I'm going to tell them how they can go to heaven. Um, this is very godly. All true evangelists or Christians will want people saved to their to their dying day. And Stephen, till the moment he expires, he's interceding for his accusers and his killers, isn't he? He is. And go back, if you would, and I want you to respond. Verse 56, he uses Jesus' favorite title for himself. And you've talked about it quite a bit, son of man. Matter of yes. fact, is if I'm not mistaken, this is the last time it is used in the New Testament, this title for Jesus, because it says, Stephen looked, and I see the heavens open, and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. This really got them angry because this was elevating the just one, the son of man, Jesus to equality with God, whom they had killed. And so that made them mad, but that was interesting. Son of man, the other thing that I'd say, you talked about how he prayed, Lord, do not lay this charge against them. You remember Jesus said, for they do not not what do not know what they're doing. Notice Stephen doesn't say that. He just yeah. says, Lord, do not lay this sin to their charge. Now, Alex, I honestly believe there's a difference in what Jesus prayed and what he prayed. Uh, They didn't know what they were doing. But since then, the resurrection has taken place. Since then, the day of Pentecost has been done. Signs and wonders has been done by the apostles. Signs and wonders have been done by Stephen. And so it's exponential. It's growing. And I, do you think they knew what they were doing? Well, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, do I think, too. I really I think do. they I... absolutely knew what they were doing. Yeah. Um, and let me say this. They were not only rejecting the, the message, they were rejecting the messenger, and they were rejecting the Messiah, who is the theme of the message, you know? Um, now, uh, you and I virtually never disagree, but... Um, I'm not sure this is the last time Son of Man is used. It's used in again? New, okay. In the book of Revelation. Oh, John, yeah, that's right. You're right. In J- Revelation one thirteen, John says he saw one like unto the Son of Man clothed with garment uh, from head to foot and shining like the brightness of heaven. So in John's uh, vision of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, we see that title. But what this is, Son of Man is a reference from Daniel chapter 7, who is, it's one of the titles for Jesus the Messiah, um, co-equal with the Father, eternal, of the same essence and nature. And you know, um, Bert, have you ever... um, 
uh, read the, the creed of Athanasius, that the Athanasian creed, which is just really beautiful. Um, and the apostles creed and the Nicene creed and the, the, these creeds, these ancient statements of belief will say, you know, of the same essence as the father, you know, and every now and then, like in the Nicene Creed, you'll see the phrase, very God of very God, really meaning true God of true God. Well, that's part of what the, the title Son of Man means, uh, that Jesus is of the same essence and nature as the father. But you know what's really, it, it's an ironic thing. Chapter six concluded he had the face like an angel, right? And yet, when he preaches, they scream out in rejection and ultimately kill him. It says the witnesses laid, laid the clothes at the feet of Saul. Now, verse uh, 1 of chapter 8 of Acts begins, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And, Bert, do you ever get the impression of the Apostle Paul that the guilt kind of haunted him for maybe the rest of his life. I, I think it did. I, I think if you read what he says, I think that first is real. St. Augustine said this concerning uh, Paul and Stephen. If Stephen had not prayed, the church would not have had Paul. In other words, Stephen's death made such an impression on him. His message, yeah. his prayer, his countenance. I think he put it all together. Think about it. How he prayed at the end. The message that he preached and weaving the law, the prophets, the whole as, uh, aspect of everything, the kings, into his message, and then his countenance. I mean, how many times does Luke talk about his countenance and how he saw that? So all of these contributed, and I do not believe Saul, you, you were talking about him you know, not getting over his death. I don't think he could get over his message and his countenance as well. And uh, it made such an impact upon him. And it is true. Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church. Now, let's talk about this just for a second, and I'll give it back to you. What's come against the church? Well, here you had the threats made by the Sanhedrin to Peter and Paul. That didn't do it. Here they had Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, lying in the Holy Spirit and causing division there among the, the, the Greek speakers of and those that were not, and the whole idea of difference, and now persecution, I mean death, and now persecution. They're doing everything to, to stomp it out, but what happens? It says uh, they brought this person against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial. Now, we're going to get to it. Uh, read verse 4. We'll come back and look at more. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere doing what? Preaching the word. Amen. What Satan meant for evil, God is turning into good, powerful, and you see the first mission wave. It's a a wave, you know? Yeah, we've already yeah. had missionaries or individuals go out, but this is a wave of individuals. The church was scattered, and they went wherever they went doing what? Preaching the word. Alex, uh, the church was so strong then. I believe the church is strong now, not just in America, 
But look what God is doing over in Africa. Look what God has done in Korea in the past 20 years. And uh, even in Iran right now, they're still saying that thousands are coming to Christ there. So even in persecution, scatteredness, the threat of death and division among the people, the church, the message of Christ through the church continues. Well, amen. You know, you mentioned... um the martyrs, Tertullian was a leader from Carthage, and Tertullian famously said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, meaning that, you know, persecution and martyrdom didn't stop Christianity. In fact, as people were being martyred, uh, other people were being emboldened to preach the gospel, and the church really grew. Now, hey, I'm going to do something. I'm going to be Alex repeated phrase McFarland. Usually Bert is the one that notices repeated phrases. You know, I've got a, a point out in Acts 8 verse 2, devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over me. We saw a similar phrase in Acts 5, totally different context. Acts 5, 6 and Acts 5, 10 where Ananias and Sapphira, they died and they were carried out to burial. Oh, wow. That's similar. Yeah. But Totally different. All right. Ananias and Sapphira, they were carried out to burial in disgrace and death. Stephen, Acts 8-2, carried out to burial, but in victory. And what a glorious testimony. Um, Let me just say this. Leave a great testimony, whoever you are, and hopefully you'll never be martyred for your faith, although uh, these days we, we just don't ever know. But let me say this. When you're carried out and laid to rest, leave a great witness and legacy behind. Alex, great point. One more thing. I guess we'll stop at verse 2, come back with verse 3 about Saul making havoc. But notice what happens. Judah and Samaria. You remember what happened when Jesus went through Samaria, the Samaritan Mm -hmm. woman? And now these apostles who wanted to reject them, there, many of those are going back to Samaria, and God's Spirit is working. Hey, we're going to make uh, phone calls available, 888-589-8840. Give us a call. Dear One Million Moms, I've always thought that maybe your organization was making a mountain out of a molehill. But today, I cannot believe what I just saw on my TV. Concerned about the trash flowing into your home through today's media that simply will not censor itself? Make your voice heard. If you see trash in the media, tell us. Use the Submit Trash button at 1millionmoms.com. That's 1millionmoms.com. And thanks. This week on Truth For Life, we'll learn about gospel ministry and the Christ-like qualities God's servants should possess. Then we'll begin a new series called More Jars of Clay and discover how God uses our weaknesses to reveal His strength. That's Monday through Friday on Truth For Life with Alistair Begg. Truth For Life, weekday mornings at 1130 Central on AFR and online at AFR.net. When the wicked increase transgression increases. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. California's Secretary of State has announced that the requisite threshold number of verified signatures needed to place a recall initiative on the ballot in California has now been satisfied. 
After imposing draconian COVID-related measures upon Californians, his treatment of churches like Grace Community Church in Los Angeles and North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, which pleaded for Newsom to relent after being fined thousands of dollars for meeting in their building, all while he dined publicly, mask-free, in expensive Napa Valley restaurants like the French Laundry. Californians have had enough. Gavin Newsom may become the next California governor recalled from office. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. 1 Peter 4, verse 13 says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Something weird occurred as Michelle and I went to eat lunch at a chicken restaurant. I went up to order and said, Can I have the original recipe chicken? The worker said, We don't have any original recipe. I said, Well, do you have any chicken tenders? Again, he said, Sorry, we don't have any chicken tenders. And I remember thinking, Were you not expecting anybody to order chicken at your chicken restaurant? Well, listen, when you live on earth and when you live for Jesus, you can always expect trials. But the Word of God tells us to embrace trials and to rejoice because God is working in them for our good. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. We're going to go to the phone calls in just a minute. By the way, the toll-free number nationwide, toll-free, it's 888-589-8840. We would love to have you call in with a Bible question. But before we do that, we're going to pray for a couple of things. For one, there's a lot of unrest going on in Israel right now, and the Bible says we are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And sadly, in the news, there's uh, anti-Semitic comments, people that really don't even acknowledge Israel's right to exist. So we want to pray for Israel. But then also we want to pray for the uh, about the Canadian pastor uh, who was arrested, uh, Arthur Paul, Paulowski, P-A-W-L-O-W-S-K-I, Paulowski, who was arrested in his car, um, and he really, Bert, the intolerance against Christianity is, is really typified by this Calgary pastor being arrested. And so we want to pray for both of these situations. We do. Thank you, Alex. Go ahead and pray, brother. And join right if you're at home, write Israel down, pray for him. And yeah. then uh, Pastor Palowski, write his name mm-hmm. down and pray for him for the next 24 hours especially. Go ahead, Alex. Yes. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem and we pray for protection of the nation of Israel. And Lord, we just pray that uh, the anti-Semitic sentiments by political liberals around the world would stop. And then, Lord, we know uh, the Jewish people have been persecuted from the time of the the regathering to the nation of Israel. So, Lord, I pray, obviously, the number one prayer is that 
Jewish people and Israelis around the world would would be saved and would know the Messiah. But we pray for peace and stability among Israel, our longest friend, uh, the only stable democracy in the Middle East. And so, Lord, bless Israel, and we lift them up to your care. And then also, Pastor Pulowski in Canada, um, arrested, persecuted for preaching the gospel. Lord, undertake on his behalf. And please, here in America, keep us free where we can have the freedom to proclaim salvation in Jesus. Lord, the, the world needs to hear this. And so, Father God, we pray for this pastor and we pray for the preservation of our religious freedoms. And it's in Jesus' name and for his glory we ask these things, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Alex. Well, let's go to the phone lines and go to as many calls as we can. We're in Texas. Samuel, welcome. Hey, welcome, brothers. Um, hey, thank you very much for taking this call. Um, I really appreciate listening to you all and, and listening to the dialogue that go back and forth. I know last Friday I wasn't able to, you, I was the last one and you weren't able to get to me. So my question is related to, um, there was an 82-year-old gentleman who had made a point about the fact that he keeps the Ten Commandments. And I remember um, um, the, what was said was that in the New Testament, nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated. So I just, and I like what Alex said about if you take a text out of context, it's a pretext, and I don't want to fall into a pretext, so I need some help with this. And what, I, if I understand correctly, not only was the keeping the Sabbath repeated, it was modeled. It was modeled from Yeshua, um, or Jesus, the Messiah, in Mark, the sixth chapter, and Luke, the fourth chapter, the 30, and the um, sixth chapter of Luke, and then also in John, the fifth and ninth chapter. And it was also modeled in um, with Paul. And the other and the other disciples in Acts thirteen, fifteen, sixteen, and eighteen, and then in Hebrews the fourth chapter, it actually makes the point about that we're still waiting that for that Sabbath rest. So the question is: is is am I taking it out of context? Is there anything any scripture that really specifically states, besides a theological thought, that the Sabbath changed from sunset Friday to sunset Saturday? Okay, thank you, Samuel. Alex, we get this quite often, and I, again, if you look at Paul's writings to the church at Corinth, uh, he talked about gathering on the first day of the week, and I would say, Samuel, the reason he mentioned all those in the book of Acts is because usually what Paul would do, part of his missionary strategy, was to go to the synagogue first. That was his whole idea. He would go to the synagogue and the synagogue, the, yes, they were still meeting on the Sabbath. They were still Jewish. But when you find out the resurrection, and again, with Christ, it is him. Uh, I, Alex, we've, we've done that. I, I, how would you go about explaining this? Well, you know, the word uh, Shabbat is the word for Sabbath. And when you... Um, for one thing, Hebrews chapter 10 says that the law... And, and all of the dictates of the law were a shadow of the things to come. Now, if you read Hebrews, uh, well, Hebrews 3.11, but really Hebrews 4, 9-11, says there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. How do we enter God's Sabbath rest? By being in Jesus 
you know? Um, so I, I would say the key to the caller's original question, why is uh, why are all the Ten Commandments repeated except keeping the Sabbath? Because if, if you're a born-again believer, you are in the the eternal Shabbat, you're in Jesus, you're in that Sabbath rest. And so Jesus fulfilled the law completely. We don't have to keep the law, but we do still observe the moral and civil dictates. We don't murder, we don't lie, we don't commit adultery, we don't commit perjury, you know, we don't steal. Um, but we, we don't, in our looking toward the Messiah that would come, we don't have to religiously keep the Sabbath like they did. Uh, we look back at the Messiah who did come and fulfilled all of the law, uh, perfect in every step. Thank you, Samuel. Hope hope that helps from our perspective, what we're saying. Uh, worship the Lord. Worship Him in truth, and we're trying. Thank you so much. Let's go to or stay in Texas and talk to Janet. Janet, welcome. Uh, hello. How are you gentlemen today? Doing well. Good. Okay, I would like to um, have a couple of verses to memorize uh, regarding temptation. Um, I have a problem in my life, uh, a sin problem, and I really need to have at least a couple of verses that I can memorize that would help me at times. Okay. Mm -hmm. Alex, what's that scripture in Psalms about guarding your heart, which means... Uh, and your eyes are an entry into that, Janet. It's the reason I, I bring that up. So guard guard your heart. You do that mm -hmm. uh, by what you see, what you hear, those two things. Uh, there's another scripture, Alex, it, and I, I mean this, and I don't mean it uh, anyway, but pray without ceasing. Uh, Janet, mm -hmm. when I recognize that and, and hear that, uh, it lets me know that he, no matter what the temptation is, I go to the Lord with it. And, and don't wait until it's been there. At the very moment that comes up, you go to the Lord, don't you, Alex? Well, Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart, from out of, because from out of your heart are the issues of life. So um, fill your heart, your soul, your mind with the truth of God's Word, you know, meditating not only on God's Word, but on who God is, but one verse that I think means a lot is 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, that says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to all mankind. God is faithful, will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted with every temptation, he'll make a way of escape. You know, regardless of the temptation and whatever your besetting sin, your Achilles heel is, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, um, you know, laying aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us. See, the, the devil knows what your weak spot is, you know. But I want to say this one last thing, Philippians uh, 4, 8, you know, whatever things are good and true and lovely, think on these things. You can't just negatively not think about something. You've got to replace it with something else. And so... Whatever, whatever you know, your temptation might be, anger, alcohol abuse, you know, lust, whatever it is, you've got to, you can't just say, I'm not going to think about that, because invariably we think about those things. Replace it with something. Think about how good God is. You know, 
praise God. Pray for somebody. Maybe every time you feel tempted, pray for a lost person by name. But you fill your heart with God and his truth and then ask. And that Philippians 10, 13, Lord, help me have that way of escape that we may be able to that I may be able to bear it. There is victory, but you're going to have to retrain yourself and create new habits of victory and obedience where old habits of defeat and disobedience had been. I, my wife and I read an article, and I'm just going to call it, there's channels in your brain and mm-hmm. what you do, but what you're talking about, the principle of replacement, is you realign those channels in your brain that when you see certain things, you think about this, or when you hear something, you think about that, you realign them to the Word of God. And so, Janet, we pray that those channels would be realigned in your life uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Amen. Let's go to Texas and talk to Rebecca. Rebecca, welcome. Thank you. Can you hear me? You're on. Yes. Yes. Okay, thank you. Um, My question is this. Um, My family's studying the book of Revelation right now, and I know that there's a place in the Bible, probably several places, where um, the word is clear about the fact that the Antichrist will come from the former Roman Empire. So my question is this, does that mean, do do scholars believe that that means the Antichrist will physically be born in one of the regions of the former Roman Empire, or could it possibly mean um, somebody who is descended from, you know, one of the regions of the former uh, empire? In other words, like a lot of us here in America, we're descended from maybe Europe, right? And that was part of the former Roman Empire. Or does the Antichrist need to be born there? Okay. I'm going to hang up so I can listen. Thank you, Rebecca. Alex, I've not given that a lot of thought. I just thought he would be from there. Have you given it a lot of thought? Well, you know, the Bible talks about um, in Daniel's image, you know, with the the head of gold and then the ten toes of uh, clay. And a lot of people believe that is the the Roman Empire. Okay, there's uh, this is in Daniel 7, 24 and 25. And out of the image with the ten toes, there is a little horn that that arises later. You know, uh, a lot of people think this means like a a confederation of nations that are currently European, but it is, you know, part of the Roman Empire. I I don't know. I mean, I I, I don't know exactly, um, but this confederation of nations is always something negative. I mean, this ten-nation confederation, uh, it never connotes anything positively. Now, the Antichrist will come out of it. Um, Is it just somebody who's currently from that region now, somebody who is in another part of the world, but their ancestors were originally from Rome? You know, I think only God knows, but I will say this. Nowadays, there's a lot of ways online to trace your genealogy. And there are people that are finding out that they've got this or that ethnicity in their in their bloodline. Um, it's it's an amazing time to be alive because people are getting back to where they found out that their ancestors really came from. They're discovering things. You know, I, I don't know, and I don't know that we can know completely, but I know this. The main nationality that you need to focus on is that you're a born-again child of the kingdom of God. That that's because that is a, that's an ethnicity or a nationality that we can definitively know. 
If you've got Christ, you're one of his, and you be a part of that kingdom. Amen. Thank you, Rebecca. Let's stay in Texas and talk to Rick. Rick, welcome. Thank you very much. Yes, go right ahead. Good to have you. Yes. What? Lord has blessed me. I've, uh, I'm an author of three books, and one of those books has a lot of revelations in it. But I was asked by a Spanish preacher to preach Saturday Sabbath at his church for five people. So I'm asking for prayer for that, uh, what God wants me to deliver out of that book. Okay. Hey, brother, uh, Alex and I, we get to preach quite a lot, Alex, especially all over America. And each time, uh, he, you know, he seeks the Lord and we need to pray for, for Rick. We're going to try to get this quick call in. I think we can do it quickly. And it is Eric from Arkansas. We don't have a lot of time. Eric, go ahead. Yes, sir. Real quick. It's the, uh, apostles creed has that, uh, phrase in it the Holy Catholic Church. Why in the world do we say that? Okay. Go ahead, Alex. Well, do you know what? It doesn't mean Roman Catholic Church. The word Catholic is a Latin word that means universal. And in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, that's from Ephesians 4, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And it, it doesn't mean Roman Catholic. It means the church universal, all true believers all over the world from all the ages that are the followers of Christ. Hey, so Eric, don't, Eric, don't I, let that yeah, bother you. I had the same question, and I remember going to Blue Mountain College. I talk about that quite a bit, and I found that true, and I said, I didn't know the word Catholic meant universal. Started looking up, and that really helped me to understand that. And, Alex, uh, it does, and we need to be standing together, praying for one another, like we prayed for the pastor in Canada praying for the saints that are being persecuted in northern africa and north you know north korea in china in india uh man we need to that don't we mm. we do and you know in john 17 21 jesus prayed for unity within the body remember the words of d.l moody any friend of jesus is a friend of mine i think that should be our mindset bert it is and exploring the word we're trying to do that yes there's some differences But I'm telling you, if Jesus, if you're following him and you loving him and obeying him, we need to march together. Hey, Alex, we'll start in Acts again tomorrow. Look forward to it. And, uh, you know, we want other people to tell people about this program, don't we? Tell everybody about exploring the word. But most of all, tell everybody about Jesus. Jesus.